Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. I'm glad you could be here with us today, and um, well, I'm just tickled that you're here. Okay, we're in a we're in a series called Storyteller. It's the parables of Jesus. Jesus loved telling stories. We've established that. The scriptures tell us that. And so we've been looking here. This is week 19. We've been looking at all these different stories. Sometimes we've combined them, tried to combine a few. We haven't covered all of them. Next week will be our last lesson in this series. And then we'll be starting another series on August the 30th called Meeting Jesus. And we're going to be looking at the people Jesus met and just what happened, what happened next. And we'll be looking at that uh, again beginning on August the 30th. Now, um, it's very interesting uh, when you look at the parables. We've been spending a lot of time just looking at how Jesus used these stories to help people understand how it is in God's kingdom. And usually a parable, the word kind of means uh, something like to put alongside, to compare. Uh, so you, he's using these stories that have... Uh, everyday meaning in in the culture, but people can identify with, and even kind of, if you have trouble understanding a parable, if a disciple did, he could just simply explain it. And uh, so we've looked at different parables, like you've got the parable of um, the the sower and the soils. You know, you have the sower being God, the seed being the word of God, and uh, soil being our hearts. Uh, you have the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, you know, represents us and the person that's hurt on the on the road, left for dead, is anybody in need. And so, and so Jesus, you kind of get that idea. Okay, here's a parallel. Of, in the first service, I mentioned uh, the parable of the prodigal son or the loving father. The loving father, of course, is God. The prodigal is us occasionally when we get away from the Lord, and then we come back. He runs to us. It's a wonderful picture of how it is in the kingdom. And we've been looking at those uh, each week, drawing the parallels. Well, this, this week I want to look at a parable and a story that Jesus uses. He does it a few times, but he does it in this particular parable where he shows contrast. He might show a character that's nothing like God or a person very little we have in common with. We might have a few things in common with, but, but he wants to show a contrast. He wants to show a drastic difference by sharing a story. And so... Uh, so what I, this is the parable we're looking at today is called the parable uh, of the persistent widow or the unjust judge. It's found in Luke 18. If you've got a Bible, you'd like to turn there. We're going to read, though. We're going to start reading in chapter 17. And we're going to start reading in verse 20. I'll be reading out of the NIV and out of the International Children's Bible. And I told the first service this because I know when I start reading out of the International Children's Bible... Somebody might be thinking, oh, you think I'm dumb and I can't understand? You have to read out of a children's Bible? No, I'm the one that's dumb. I need the help. So I just want to make that clear. I find it helpful when I read out of another translation sometimes, all right? Let's, let's pick it up here on the, in the NIV, Luke 17, verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is among you. I think yours might say, within you, or the midst of you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Because you'll long to see me sometime. But you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning. 
which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. He's saying, man, when the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man makes His appearance, it's not going to be like when He was born, although there was some signs in the sky and things of that nature. When He comes again, it's going to be like lightning. Everybody sees it. You know, I've, I don't know how many times have you ever been on the phone with somebody during a lightning storm and they're miles away and a lightning hits and you go, did you see that? Yes, I did. Though you're miles away, lightning gets your attention. It fills the sky. And he's making it clear when he comes, everybody's going to know. He says, but first, he must, he's talking about himself, must suffer things and be rejected by this generation. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about, I'm going to have to be rejected, arrested, kangaroo court, so to speak, and I'll be crucified. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given to marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. It's important you remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on the night two people will be on one bed, one will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken, one left. I want you to notice he's saying that when he comes, it will be night and day at the same time. So it's around the world. The whole world's going to know. There's a nighttime, they're in bed. Daytime, they're working. And when the Son of Man comes, and they'll come at any time. When He does, He goes, one will be taken, one will be left. Judgment's going to happen. And this idea of somebody being left, the disciples ask, where, Lord? What's go- where they go? Where are they left? He replied, where there is a dead body, you'll find vultures will gather there. I think some people... Uh, some translations say the eagles gather there. And to me, a, a vulture is just an ugly eagle in a way, I guess, in a sense. But uh, the idea that he's saying, just like a dead body will bring the vulture, he goes, the judgment is coming on the, on the, on the body of mankind upon sin. But notice in verse 18, he now tells them a story. And I think it's, it's connected to this passage. Because you might be saying, why are you reading out of uh, Luke 17, Tim? Because it's in the context that he says, that it goes on to say, then Jesus used this story to teach his followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. He's saying, based on what he had just talked about, judgment coming, his coming, his second coming. He says, tra- tragedy, you know, like the days of Noah like the days of Lot. One will be taken, one will left. He says, then he tells them this story that they should, that they always pray and never lose hope. And he says, once there was a judge in a town. He did not care about God. He also did not care what people thought about him. In the same town, there was a widow who kept coming to this judge. She said, there's a man who's not being fair to me. Give me my rights. But the judge did not want to help the widow. After a long time, he thought to himself, I don't care about God, and I don't care what people think, but this widow is bothering me. You know, I will see she gets her rights, or she'll bother me until I'm worn out. 
The Lord said, listen, listen, isn't this interesting? He says, listen to what the bad judge said. He's saying, focus on what the bad judge just said. Well, what did he just say? I don't care about God and I don't care about people, but I'm going to do what's right because this woman's about to wear me out. She has nagged me in a corner. I think the Greek behind this, uh, the Greek language says, literally, she's going to give me a black eye over this. Now, it doesn't mean this woman's going to punch him in the nose. But it does mean that his, his reputation is going to be like getting a black eye. It is, it is hounding him. It is wearing him down. And then, he, then so Jesus says, God's people cry to him day and night. God will always give them what is right. And he will not be slow to answer them. He's saying that God is totally different than this judge. Listen to that judge. Listen to how he talks. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about people. And he doesn't want to help this woman. But if she nags him long enough, he'll finally do what's right. God's nothing like that. God's nothing like that. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Because he's saying, you know, he, his children, his people, his chosen one, when they cry out day and night, he helps them. He doesn't have to be nagged. When they cry out, he answers them. I tell you, God will help his people quickly. Now, there's a problem with that right there. Some of us are going, quickly? Oh, we'll talk about that. But then he says this. He brings it back to this topic that he just spent time talking about in Luke 17. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find? Will he find those on earth who believe in him? What's he saying? I'm, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be crucified. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to be killed. He's telling his disciples this. He goes, and guys, it's important you keep praying. I'm, let me tell you a story to help you understand. You've got to keep praying and hang in there. Because after it's all done, even on Judgment Day, when I come back, am I going to find you still believing me? Will I still find you trusting me? I mean, you couldn't help but notice... This, about Noah and Lot. Did you notice the references to Noah and Lot? He refers to Noah, the flood. That's a catastrophic judgment of the earth. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. How many people were saved? How many? Eight? Eight. Eight? Out of the whole world? Eight. And then Sodom. Sodom gets clobbered with fire and brimstone from heaven. We, we know this, if you know the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, God is ready to bring judgment to this city. He sends a couple of angels after some negotiation. If you can just find a few people, if you can find, you know, just a few people will be faithful. Uh, I won't destroy the city. There wasn't even enough to, to meet that. And so these two angels go in, they find Lot. And there's his wife and two daughters. And remember, the people outside are knocking on the door. We want to have sex with your, your, you know, with this, with these angels that had came and lost. Uh, you can't do that. Here, take my daughters. What's wrong with this man? And if you read the story, you find that the angels are there to get them out of town because God is coming down on this city. And, and as I was reading it early this morning, I couldn't help but notice one of the angels grabs Lot by the hand and says, "We got to get out of here." And so they're getting out of town. How many people were saved out of the city of, Lot, of, of Sodom? Three. Four left, but one turned around. There's a, trick, there's a trivia question right there. Okay? Yeah, it's Lot, his wife, and two daughters. And as they're getting out of town, and as they're just about to get out, out of range, 
what's Lot's wife do? She looks back one more time at what they're leaving. You know, Lot wants to take some things. The angels say, we don't have time. You need to get out of here. And what happens to Lot's wife? She turns into a pillar of salt. Three people get out of that town by the skin of their teeth. I wonder why. You know, I look at this. Eight, three. Guys, I can see why Jesus would say, when I come back, how many people are really going to believe me? Because it sure didn't look very good there in Noah's day, and it wasn't very good at the time of Lot. You know, this story is really about what I can do to be ready. And so it's just, to me, it's just a very interesting story because I got to thinking and looking at this and going, so what, what were these people doing that, um, that made them ill-prepared? Oh, they were out sinning, drunk, you know, sleeping around, cheating people, lying, and Sodom. Well, we know they're all immoral. That's, what the, that's what's going on. But that's not what's listed. That's not what Jesus lists there. Did you catch what he listed? He said in Noah's time they were eating and drinking and marrying. You know, Jonathan and Emily got married this last week and Emily's here. Yes. Jonathan here? Where's he at? Oh, there you are. You survived. Yeah, there you are. Good. You know. It was a, it was a, and you know, they're they're back, you know, and congratulations to the two of them. Isn't that exciting to see? Yeah. Be happy for them. Now, I'm not trying to rain on their marriage here or their wedding, but it's, what I notice is, is that they're, they're, it says they're marrying, they're eating, they're drinking, and in Sodom they were doing what? Well, let's, well, you know they were sinning. Of course they were doing wicked things. But that's not what Jesus lists. He lists building, selling, enjoying life. It's as if He's saying they were doing everyday activity and they weren't ready. It's as almost to say their everyday activity crowded God out and they stopped praying. They stopped trusting. They stopped following God altogether. You know, I've been a Christian a long, 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 long time. I was thinking about that almost 40 years of my life. Oh, over 40 years. Let's see. I don't know. It's been a long time. And I've seen a lot of people come and a lot of people go. When you're around a long time, you see this. I was trying to think how many people I saw leave God. Not go to church somewhere else, just leave God altogether. And I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I thought maybe close to a thousand in my lifetime. And guys, they didn't leave because they were persecuted. They weren't leaving over persecution. They were leaving because of a job that gets in the way. A pleasure. Something good. They, they would leave over a relationship. They'd walk away from God because they wanted this relationship so bad. You see, it's not, I'm not denying that wickedness and, and sin will do that, but you guys, there's, there's another factor that plays a part in, in whether or not I'm going to be faithful when Jesus comes. Will I allow the everyday things of life to crowd Him out to where I stop trusting Him? Life can get so good you don't think you need God's help. 
Am I right? Life is so good, I don't, I don't think about praying. I don't think about talking to the Lord. How, how can I prevent what happened in Noah's day and in Sodom from happening to me? How can you keep that from happening to you? Jesus is talking to His disciples. He, he hears a question from the Pharisees, explains a little bit, but then He turns His attention to the disciples and He begins to tell them a story that would encourage them to keep praying and never give up. As if to say, if you do this, I'll find you faithful when I come back. Look at look what Peter said. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 7. You know, he was one of the guys that heard this, this story. The end of the world is coming soon, therefore be earnest. What's he mean by earnest? He's talking about being sincere and serious. Be earnest. But look what else it says. And disciplined in your prayers. This story... This doesn't, I told the first service, in the top five answers in, of life uh, that confuse me, or I go, what? This is one of those stories. Jesus is using a story of opposites almost to make a point about God and about you and I. But he's saying that the answer to being faithful is my prayer life. What? My prayer life? Your prayer life. It's so important you keep praying, Tim. Really? I would think I need to be in my Bible every day. Well, yeah, of course. That helps. I'm not denying that. But are you on your knees every day? Are you pray are you do you still keep praying? Because a lot of everyday things in life, I've had people say, I'm too busy. You ever said that? I'm just too busy to pray. I've got, oh man, or I wish I prayed more. I got, I've gotten away from it. Why did you get away from it? I know how I get away from it. I get too busy with the everyday things in life and the lack of preparation sneaks up on me and I begin to quit. I, be, I start quitting what I was so excited about. I begin to quit here and a little here and a little there and a little there and a little there. And Jesus says, you know, guys, I'm going to go through the ringer and you're, what, what happened? By the way, what happened to the disciples when Jesus was arrested and crucified? What did they do? They ran, didn't they? They scattered. They ran and scattered. He prayed with them at Gethsemane and prayed they wouldn't fall into temptation. What is the temptation that he's asking them to pray about? To pray they will overcome. Is it? Could it be the temptation to quit? And so I see this connection between prayer and perseverance. And so Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story that connects the two and how important they are. And I think from this story we can learn why it's so important that you and I keep praying. That we keep praying. Some of you have quit praying. You've been hurt, so you quit praying. You're discouraged, so you quit praying. You didn't get the answer that you wanted, so you quit praying. You're wondering if God is listening, so you quit praying. You've got some guilt and shame going on, and you're thinking, well, God probably doesn't listen to me. He doesn't listen to hypocrisy. Listen, church, He doesn't listen to hypocrisy, but He'll listen to someone who's inconsistent. Because we all are. Now, hypocrisy is projecting that you're really something when you're not. That's acting. 
Inconsistency is just being yourself and being true to yourself. And so Jesus is, he's not saying that he doesn't listen to prayer that's inconsistent. God will not listen to my prayers when I'm hypocritical. But what I notice about this, he's saying, some of you here, you know, you're inconsistent and it's discouraging you. I keep messing up. You don't want to mess up. I keep, I keep tripping up. I don't want to trip up. God, you know, why should I bother to pray? It, or nothing seems to be changing. It seems like I pray and pray and pray, but nothing is happening. And so we begin to do what when we get discouraged? We lose hope. Somewhere in Proverbs it says that when hope is deferred, it makes the, makes you sick. Spirit gets sick. You get discouraged. This morning, what I want to do is I want to give you three reasons out of this passage that you ought to keep praying. You may, even if you don't feel like it, keep praying. Even if you've, you wonder if God is listening, keep praying. And if you're discouraged, especially if you're discouraged, keep praying. Keep praying. Why should I keep praying? Well, according to this little story, it seems like if, that I should keep praying because God will keep me going. He'll keep me going when I'm praying. He says... He tells them this story that they should keep on praying and never give up. They go together. Another translation would say it this way. He told them this story so they, so they must pray. To teach them that they must pray. You know, I've noticed something about Luke. He records the prayer life of Jesus. If there was something that struck Luke, it was the prayer life of Jesus. He keeps coming back to it over and over again. In fact, the two stories, the only two parables we have of Jesus talking about prayer, Luke records. And most scholars, and I don't know how they know this, I didn't, I, you know, you only go so deep and finally you go, you're losing me, scholars. But these, a lot of scholars believe that Jesus had many stories on prayer. Many parables, but Luke records two of them. One's in Luke 11, and the other one's in Luke 18. And Luke 11, you know, is a story where the guy has a friend come in at midnight, and he has no bread to feed the guy, so he goes next door and bangs on his neighbor's door, and it's at midnight, and he's bang. You know, any do that to you? Bang on your door with bang, bang, bang. You know, who in the world is this? You know, well, imagine you're living in a one-room house. Your kids, you've got more kids than you know, a baseball team. you got all kinds of kids. Everybody's laying down on the floor and you're way over the other side and the front door's banging and you've got to walk through a minefield of children and your spouse to get to the door. Bang, bang, bang. Well, who is it? It's your buddy. Oh, what do you want? I need some bread. Can't you see we're all in bed? And shh, quit banging on the door so much. You're going to wake the kids. You're going to wake one of them and it's just now starting to sleep overnight. Bang, 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 bang. Come on. I, I can't, I can't. Stop doing that. Bang, bang. Okay, okay, okay. You know, you hear the baby go, Oh, no. He gets the bread. Opens the door. There's your bread. Okay, thanks, man. And you hear him go, And then, click. Newman. You know, you know what I'm saying? This has it. Oh, I can't believe this. That's that one story. And Jesus says there in that story, Now, if a friend will do that, won't your Father give you what you ask for? I mean, your son asks for bread. Would you give him a stone? And of course the answer is no. Well, your Heavenly Father knows you need things and will give them to you. He'll even give you His own Spirit. He'll give you everything. 
If you'll get, God, if God will give you His Holy Spirit, that means anything else. He'll take care of you. And then there's the other, there's the other story, and that's this one with this woman who's a widow. And she just doesn't have a thing. She doesn't have any money. She doesn't have any political power. You know, she doesn't have a husband. Back then, you know, widows, by the way, Luke talks about widows more than any other gospel writer. I don't know why, but he does. He mentions widows a lot in the Gospel of Luke. And maybe it's because Jesus' mother was a widow. But, and he saw how he took care of her. But this woman does not have anybody, no man, in, to, to defend her. She's about to lose her home. She's about to lose her estate. And a lot of widows would, would lose everything because there was no one there to defend them. Well, this woman has no money, no power, All she has is her ability to bother people. That's it. No bucks. No bullying. I guess I'll just bug him to death. So imagine, you know, it says everywhere he goes. So here's the judge. He gets up one morning. You know, it's a what a fine morning. And, you know, back then they traveled in tents. and, And so he'd pack his tent and he would set it up somewhere and he would judge cases. Now, he was a crooked judge. What do you mean? He was probably appointed by the Romans or by Herod. He was a crooked judge. And somehow he was, in a sense, he would rule in your favor if you had some money. So she had no money. So you can imagine, here he comes out, you know, beautiful day, and there she is at the sidewalk. Judge, can I talk to you for a minute? Sorry, ma'am, I haven't got time. I'm heading to a case. It's a big case. Maybe you haven't read in the papers, but it's a big case. i got to go. But judge, it's only take a few minutes. I'm sorry, I, I can't. I, listen, I've got somebody that's, I've lost my husband. I got. I need help here. I'm about to lose everything, and this guy is taking advantage of me, and, and he's already, you know, off and gone in, in mid-sentence. And then later, you know, here he is. He's got his tent set up, you know, and and he's sitting there, and he goes, okay, well, let's hear the first case. And he starts hearing cases, and all of a sudden, here comes the bailiff. Judge, yeah, uh, there's a lady outside. I want to talk to you. Oh, really? Okay. What's she look like? Why? Well, I met a lady this morning. What's she look like? Well, she's wearing this kind of a green thing, you know. She's got a little like, unibrow going, you know. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of stuff about her. I know who that is. Do not let her in, whatever you do. And she's already, Judge, got her head in. Can I say something? Judge, can, can I just take a minute? I haven't got time. Rusty, get him out of here. Get him out of here. Man, we gotta go. But judge, wait a minute. I've got, I'm having problems and I need your help. I don't, come on. And here he is judging. You hear the woman, you know, she sneaks behind the tent. He knows who the judge is. Judge. He's like, okay, what's the next case? I've got a problem with a guy. Uh, who's got a problem with a guy? Wait, who is that? Get her out of here. He goes to the marketplace. I'm gonna get something to eat. She's there. He's picking stuff. Oh, I like that. I like that. And looks over and there she is. And he kind of goes, oh. <laughs> Judge, just a few seconds. That's all I need. I, I, I told you, I don't have time. He's, he's, what is he waiting for? Well, maybe she's got some money he can get. That's good. Money talks. You got any money? No. I got a problem. And I need your help. This woman won't let this man go. In her mind, her problem is not going to change unless she talks to this man. Talking to this man, as unpleasant as it is, because he's mean and cantankerous, I don't know if you know any judges, they're not the most patient people in the world. Judge Judy, that's just one. There's Judge Mathis, there's all these judges now. 
And they all have a, they just have any much patience. So it's got to be difficult for her to approach this guy knowing she's probably going to get abused in some way with, with his words. Could go to jail. But she's, she's desperate, guys. She says, if I don't talk to him, I have no way, I, there's no way out of this. This is what you and I have in common with this woman. We are helpless. We are spiritually bankrupt. We've said that many times, haven't we? And it's true. In the spiritual, you might have money in your pocket, and you might have some political power and some influence on some people, but in the spiritual world, you have, you are broke. You have no political power whatsoever. And all you can do is talk. And that's why Jesus says, look, you've got to, you've got to keep praying. That is something you'll always have. You'll always have is the ability to talk to someone in authority that can help you. That's what's going on here in, in this parable. This woman feels like she's got to pray. Now Luke records the life, the prayer life of Jesus. And for example, look what he says here in Luke chapter 5. He says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's what Luke noticed about Jesus. Now, why did Jesus do that? Well, what are you talking about then? Well, I mean, you think about it for a minute. Where, where else did he pray? Luke records lots of places. At his baptism, he's praying and the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on him. Before he selects his disciples, it, Luke records Jesus prayed the night before. Went off by himself and prayed the night before. He often would do this. When, when he's about, he's, he's middle of praying, and Luke records as he prays, he all of a sudden stops praying and says, Hey guys, who do you think, what are people saying about me? Who do they say I am? And from that praying comes Peter's statement, the great confession. They go to a mountain, and on top of this mountain, Jesus, it says, is praying, and then he starts glowing, and his body gets brighter and brighter, and then out of nowhere comes Moses and Elijah on the heels of praying. Luke notices that. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. And, and I, notice, I notice that it's not only that at, a, at the confession or the Mount of Transfiguration, but even on the cross, when Jesus was going through the ringer for you and I, He's praying to God. And what's he praying? Father, forgive them what they're doing. And to your hands, I, I commend my spirit. What's he? I trust you to the end. Prayer from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry. Well, Jesus just set such a good example. I don't believe he did it for a set of good example. He did it because he needed it. And if the Son of God needed it, don't you think you and I need it? Don't you think you and I, if we don't pray, do you think we give up? What if Jesus didn't pray? Would He have died on the cross? You see, prayer keeps, God's able to keep you and I going when we pray. In Luke 22, we've a very familiar passage. Jesus is at Gethsemane. Remember, he pulls the disciples together. He says, here, pray. And he says there in verse 40, keep on praying that you may not be tempted. Interesting. He goes, I want you praying and keep praying. I'm going to go over here and pray too. So he goes and prays. And once he find out, comes back and what are they doing? They're sleeping. Right? They fall asleep. 
They fall. Jesus comes back and goes, what's the deal? You falling asleep? Why are you sleeping? I can just imagine some of the guys going, you want to know why we're sleeping? <laughs> we've been with you since four in the morning, and we've been walking everywhere, and we've been listening to you talk and talk and talk, and, and frankly, I, we didn't get, get, get a good breakfast, and that lunch wasn't all that hot. We're tired. We're wore out. They could have said that. And what's Jesus do? He says, why are you sleeping? And you know, and in fact, I think it goes on to say he catches them again, and they're speechless. They don't even know what to say. Doesn't Jesus say, uh, you know what? I know you're wanting, but your body won't let you. Your spirit's willing, but your body is weak. But notice what he says to these guys while they're sleeping. He said, I know you're tired. Get up and pray. What? Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. What are you trying to say, Tim? I just noticed Jesus... Don and I watched uh, Full Metal Jacket the other day. It's the foulest. I mean, that's the thing. But that first part, that drill sergeant, Gunny, oh my gosh. Get up out of your bed, you maggot! Pile, get off of my observation! Get off of my obstacle course right now! What is wrong with you? He just yelling and just and I and I it's, it seems like it's one of these you know one of these uh, drill sergeant moments. Oh, we're tired, Lord. We're just tired. Get up and pray. Well, you're a hard man. No, prayer is that important. Get up and pray so you won't give in to temptation. What temptation are we talking about? Downloading something? No. What temptation are we talking about? Giving up, quitting. You see, I've learned something. When I don't pray, I'm going to give up. If I don't pray, I'm going to be discouraged. Some of you are discouraged. And you quit praying. It's, I don't know why. You know, it's easy to pray when things are going good. Easier. Sometimes I don't even pray when things are going good. What's wrong with me? I'll tell you what's wrong with me. And you might find it that's wrong with you too when we don't pray and keep praying. It confirms how little I really believe and trust the Lord. Because when I pray all the time, I'm not saying a big long prayer with lots of words. Guys, Jesus condemns that in Matthew 6. A long babbling prayer does not make your prayer last any longer or be more effective than a long drug out sermon. I know you got that. Now he's talking about praying continually. The Bible talks about that. Pray continually. Keep on praying. And why? It's, it's something you're doing during the day. It's not a long prayer. It starts six in the morning and goes till midnight. No, it's, it's just constantly coming to God, bringing Him into your everyday life and not, let, and not letting the everyday life crowd Him out. I hear people say, I, I, need to, I need to pray more. It's hard to pray. You know what's happened? You've probably dozed off. And you're asleep. And Jesus is saying, get up and pray. Why? You need to pray. I needed it. You need it. I prayed all the time, Tim, and you need to be praying all the time. Why? Because it will keep you going. Like I say, this widow was like, i got no other choice. There's no other option. 
If I don't talk to the judge, nothing's going to happen. If I don't talk to the judge, I'm going to give up. And even this old crusty, unjust, crooked judge will listen to someone. How much more will God? How much more will God? Well, I love this Psalms 55. Turn your worries over to the Lord. He will keep you going. He will never let godly people be shaken. What's he saying? I'll help you stay faithful. Keep praying. I want to say to you this morning, some of you here, maybe you're not praying like you used to or you've gotten away from your prayer life. I want to say start it back up. Keep praying. For those of you who are still praying, keep praying. Why? Because it will keep you going. You already know that. My marriage has got problems. You keep praying. My work, my work arrangement, it just sucks over there. You keep praying. You keep praying. I am discouraged by my health. I am discouraged by my financial situation. Keep praying. Do whatever you do. Don't stop praying. Because it will keep you going. Here's the second reason I think we should keep praying. Because God cares about me. What a basic thing. But we sure forget, don't we? I forget. God cares. Sometimes I think, God, do you even care? Look what's happening to me. I'm getting clobbered over here. And the truth is, God does care. He's nothing like the unjust judge. You know, I've appeared before judges a few times in my life. What over, Tim? I don't want to talk about it. I'll talk about one. I'll never forget it. Um, and what I noticed about judges are they don't have time for nonsense. I had an employee that was, I don't know, trying to give me a hard time. I don't know if he was trying to sue me, trying to get something out of me. And I talked to Jim and to Rob Forbes, and I said, you know, I need, I need some help with this. Well, let's get an arbitrator. We'll get a judge. And there was one, I think they, it was by phone. And so we got on a conference call. And before we make the call, they, they were going to call at a certain time. The judge would, I guess, something like that. And so before they said, Tim, now we need to give you advice. And both these guys are going to give me legal advice. Tim, here's what's important. What's that? When the judge asks you a question, simply say yes or no. And I go, I can do that. No, you can't. <laughs> yes, I can. No, you can't. Somebody asks you the time, you try to explain how the clock works. Listen. When the judge asks you a question, just say yes or no. I can do that. No, you can't. And we're going to remind you. Ring, ring, ring. This is Judge Southside, Chicago, out of Chicago somewhere. And they've got the employee. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Mr. Gill, are you here? And they look at me and go, I go, yes. Okay, then we're ready to begin. So what's the problem? I get ready to say something, and the guy goes, well, here's what's going on, Judge, is the ex-employee. Blah, 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 I go, he's hanging himself. Blah, blah, blah. Finally, the judge, that's enough, that's enough, I've heard enough. I'm ruling in uh, Mr. Gill's favor, and that's it. I, 
All I said was yes. See how easy it is. I'm going, I still have trouble with that, okay? But, and, and, and then the judge goes, well, that's all. Uh, is there anything? I, I, is there's nothing else. I need to move on. And as she's getting off the phone, the other guy's going, but judge, there's something else you need to hear. Click. And he's still talking. And we hang up. Judges don't have time for nonsense. There's times I've, I've been told this, that sometimes a judge will rule against you or for you simply just whether they like you or not. That just doesn't make any sense. Megan said, nodded her head. I guess there's some truth there. Oh, you work in law. Okay. And I thought, that's crazy. Well, this judge here, this judge here, he has no mercy. Look what Jesus says about this judge. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about what people thought about him. And look, and he didn't want to help this woman. I don't want to have anything to do with her. Even though she's still coming. Keeps coming. None. He's Roman appointed. He doesn't care. He's corrupt. He's not going to do anything. He has, his plans are to do nothing. But you know what? He ends up doing something, doesn't he? Yeah. Look at verses 4 through 5. After a long time, he thought to himself, I don't care about God and I don't care about what, what people think, but this widow's bothering me. I'll see that she gets her rights or she'll bother me until I'm worn out. It's going to ruin me. Here's a judge that doesn't care about God. And here's where the judge and God are different. And Jesus makes his case. Because these judges were all over Israel. And he says, God is nothing like that. He said, do you hear what the judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? This is how the message. You hear what he's saying? What's he saying? He's basically saying, I don't want to help you and I don't care, but if you nag me enough, I will. And he says, so what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people? who continue to cry out for help. What makes you think God won't help you? You're His chosen people. You're a disciple. If you're a Christian, let me tell you, God is for you. God loves you. You're His child. and He is determined to help you. Now, you might disagree on how that help comes. Most kids disagree with their father on how they're getting help. Am I right, parents? They don't get it. They're immature. Later in life, when you're 58 like me, you go, you know, my old man wasn't that stupid. I now get it. But when you're 22 or you're 16 or you're 10, you're like, you're unfair. And he's not. Not at all. Won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will, and he'll not drag his feet. What's he saying? He won't be like this judge who keeps putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. No, he'll be the kind of judge... He'll be the kind of person. He's the kind of God that says, I will answer and I'll take care. Why? Because I care about you. You know, this woman, this widow, you and I share something with this. Yes, we're helpless like she is, but we're nothing like this woman after that because this woman was a stranger to this judge and you are no stranger as his disciple, as, his, as a Christian. You are chosen by him. Now, if you're not a Christian, you've got something to worry about. I'll be honest with you. If you're not a Christian, if you've not made Jesus Lord of your life, you're in trouble. This promise isn't for you. 
This is for people who have given their lives to Christ. This is, he's talking to his disciples saying, I want to see you, you understand the, the story so you'll keep praying and you won't give up and I'll find you still trusting me when I come. By the way, when he came out of the grave, were they still trusting him? They all came back after they all scattered, right? Except one. You know, a widow comes into the court of law, but not you and me. We come before a throne of grace. A throne of mercy. The kind of God that gives us what we need, not what we deserve. Praise God. 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter again, who heard this story, says, Let him have all your worries and cares, for he is always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. Now, that doesn't mean he's thinking about you and how to squish you and watching every move you make, so if you get out of line, he kicks you out. He isn't doing that. He's, he, you have God's attention, disciple. He cares about you. And that's why you should keep praying and talking to Him. He never quits caring. And so you should never stop praying. Well, let me give you a third one. And that is, I should keep praying because God will answer my prayer. Now this is a little tricky for a lot of us. Because you could probably think of some prayers God hasn't answered. Or at least you think He hasn't answered. You know, for a long time the judge will not consider the widow's case. But she keeps asking him until he finally caves in. This parable is not saying you can nag God into a corner and make him do what you want. Let's make that clear. This is not saying, well, I'll wear God down. I'll just keep asking. You know, um, sometimes God has answered the prayer. It's just we don't like it. A child well, uh, was reading, a guy was telling me about a daughter. I was reading this little article and he said his four-year-old daughter, two four-year-old daughter, had a little teddy bear and was praying and saying, God, please make the teddy bear talk. Please make the te- teddy bear talk. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think God's going to make the teddy bear talk? Why not? It's just not a good answer. It's not a good question. It's not a good request. She's immature. She's asking for something that... No, God ain't going to do that. Now, if she's 22, and she's still praying that, you know, there's something going on there, okay? You'd hope... Here's why I'm saying this. Have you ever realized this? There's things I prayed for when I was younger I don't pray for anymore. What happened? God answered your prayer? Yeah. He answered it by changing what I pray for. It's called maturity. Hopefully it's maturity. I've learned sometimes ask some of the stuff I ask God is limit I'm limited to what I see and his answer is bigger. It's so much bigger. But the truth is God will why should I keep praying? God will answer. Say, so, well God sometimes I don't like the answer. You know, so I, I tell you, I thought about why do people stop praying? Some people think they don't get an answer or they get the wrong answer. Or they get the right answer and they think, well, I'm done praying about that. What about thanking Him? What about continue to pray and thank Him for that? I've heard, heard, I've heard Peter say God says usually answers prayer. He answers all prayers with one of these three answers. Go, in other words, yes, go. No, which means no. 
and woe, which means wait. And you probably notice in that passage here in uh, 7 through 8, God will always give what is right to His people. Notice it says what is right. Circle that. What is right to His people who cry to Him night and day. Does that sound like they've been asking God more than once? They've been praying more than once? Well, if you have to pray more than once, isn't that a sign of unbelief? No, not praying at all is a sign of unbelief, guys. No, He, He... they cry day and night, and he will not be slow to answer them. He's saying, I won't drag my feet like this other judge. I tell you, God will help his people quickly. Now, you might go, Tim, i got a problem with those two phrases right there. He's not slow, and he'll answer quickly. Really? What is he saying? I'm telling you, he's saying, he will not put you off like the judge. Like I said before, it's easy for me to pray when things are good. It's easier. It's hard to keep praying when you're going through a difficulty. A prolonged difficulty. Because I want immediate relief. How many times have you said, Lord, give me patience, and I want it right now? And God says, well, I'll answer that prayer. Yes, I'll give you patience. Good. But that right now, you can forget it, buddy, because I'm going to develop it. I'm going to develop it in you. I'm going to work for a while in your life. You see it? There's times when I just, I wonder sometimes, just, I personally have wondered, is, God, are you listening? When I have these times of waiting, delay, why are you waiting, Lord? Why don't you do something now? And it's in these moments of delay that I begin to question the power of prayer, and I stop. I'm tempted to stop, and sometimes I just stop praying about it. I mean, you ask somebody to do something, they say, no, 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 no. You find a girlfriend, fine. I won't ask anymore. But God may not be saying, no, no, no. He may be saying, wait a minute. Just wait a minute. Why? Waiting. He may be working on something else to answer that prayer. I believe God starts working as soon as we start praying. I just wish He'd work immediately. And this story doesn't really deal with that very well. He doesn't tell us a lot about it. All I know is, as a follower, you and I are going to have moments like this where God delays and it's going to drive us crazy or we are tempted to stop, to quit. Psalms 13. This song was written by a man after God's own heart, David. And look what he says in Psalms 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? You ever prayed like that? How long is this going to go on? How long is this going to last? When is there going to be some relief? Look on me, he says, and answer, Lord my God. And look, he says, give me light. Give light to my eyes. What's he saying? Give me hope or I'm going to die. I'm just going to die if you don't do something. You ever prayed like that? Why is this taking so long? I've prayed those prayers too. And, you know, sometimes I don't know. You know, why won't you deal with this person that's giving me such a hard time? I want you to get even. Do something with it. And he goes, I will. But I'm not going to answer that prayer like you, Tim. I'm going to try to get them to repent and change. And that takes time. Will you wait? 
When am I going to quit being insecure? When am I going to quit being afraid? Well, it's not going to happen with one moment. It's going to take a series of moments, Tim. Will you wait and let me develop it? Let me work on it? And see, I don't want to wait. And I bet most of you don't either. I want to be patient now. I want to be mature now. I want God to work now. Seems like everybody else, God works now. You know what? If you look close, you find out He doesn't work now in a lot of people's lives that you think He's doing. He's working though. Habakkuk 1. Here up on the screen. Very interesting. I, I read, I was reading the book of Habakkuk before I come up here because I wanted to read it all. It's only three chapters long. And look what he says here. How long, Lord, must I call for help? but you do not listen. Habakkuk assumes God is not hearing him. He's a faithful prophet of God. Violence is everywhere. See if this doesn't fit our society today. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. And there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. What's he saying? He's saying, man, how long, how long is this going to go on? I'm living in a cesspool, Lord, and it's, it's hard, it's tough. Just like the disciples, Jesus warned them, you're, I'm going to suffer. You're going to go through the ringer. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be like the days of Noah. It's going to be like, it's going to be like Sodom. It's not going to be easy to follow me, guys. You keep praying. Habakkuk's saying, how long is it going to be? And if you read the rest of Habakkuk, God answers his prayer. And he says this, he says, I'm developing a nation to confront Israel. And that nation's name is Babylon. He didn't send them that moment. He's getting them ready. And Habakkuk complains some more. And God answers some more, saying, you need to wait. Be patient with me. It takes time to do this. But it's coming, and when it comes, it will come quickly. And sure enough, Babylon came and took Israel, took Judah. Nebuchadnezzar just leveled the place, destroyed the temple. It's interesting to me that at the, you read the last chapter of Habakkuk, I think it's verses 17 and 18, he says he's learned something through that experience. You know, though the tree doesn't bud and there's no grapes on the vine, nothing in the stall, he goes, I will rejoice in you. He says, I'll still believe, even if I have to wait for something good to happen. Revelation. What a wonderful book. John is having a vision. I've been told, and I I agree right now, that the the theme of Revelation, what it means is Christians win. We win. We make it. We get through it. The image of Rome trying to destroy the church, and church overcomes it. In chapter 6, there's a beautiful picture 
of those, something is under the altar. There are people under the altar. And you look under the altar. This it looks like heaven itself. And under the altar, this image of all these people who had been killed for their faith, who had endured to the end. And look what they say. A called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants on earth and avenge our blood? They, they're, they're, they're even praying, How long will it be, Lord, till you deal with this? Even in heaven. It's important, guys, listen, it's important for you and I to realize that a delay from God doesn't mean He's not answering your prayers. He's working. He's working. And as His children, He may be working on you and me to get us to change what we're asking for. He may be working on the people we're praying for and the situations. But He's working. And He's answering. He's not inactive. So keep praying. How's your prayer life this morning? Are you still praying? I found myself going, you know what? I get, I get so busy putting in auto glass. I get so busy putting together sermons. I get so busy you know, taking care of my house and trying to maintain my marriage and my family. and I get so busy with all that stuff, buying and selling and building. Why, a week can go by and I haven't prayed. And then I wonder why I'm discouraged. I wonder why sometimes moments I go, I'm tempted just to quit. I've learned something this week, and that is I've, I've got to keep praying. Whether I want to or not, whether I think I need to or not, because it's somehow connected to God finding me faithful when I see Him again. Look at it says in Hebrews 4. Let me encourage you these two verses as we close. Let us keep on coming boldly to the throne of grace so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Keep praying, church. I want to say to you here, if you're discouraged, you keep praying. And you go before God with confidence, knowing He's going to help you and give you what you need. Philippians 4 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Everything? What's everything mean? Well, the Greek word behind everything means everything. Everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace. Oh my goodness. When you have God's peace, does that sound like security? Do you want to quit when you feel God's peace? No. That sounds like security there. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Jesus. What will He guard our hearts and minds from? The temptation to quit. And so Jesus asks this question again. And I put it up on the screen here. When the Son of Man comes again, will He find those on earth who believe in Him? I'm asking you this morning, if Jesus comes, will He find that you do trust Him? You know, only eight at the flood, three at Sodom. Just because you go to church doesn't mean that's a slam dunk, guys. I heard a preacher say one time, just because you sit in a chicken house don't make you a chicken.
I'm saying to you that keep praying. Somehow that works. That brings God into your everyday life. It, it brings your thoughts and His thoughts together. His purpose ever before you. Knowing He'll keep you going. Knowing He deeply cares. And knowing He will answer. You have a card in your bulletin. And the card is a simple moment that you can take advantage of our prayer team right now. What do you want them to pray about? What's something, if you were to look at your old prayer list, you just gotten away from praying about, I need to get back into that. How often are you praying? Is it through your day? Or are those things crowding out your desire to pray? You'll quit if you, if you don't change that, church. What do you need to do this morning? What kind of response does God need from you with this story He just told? We're going to pray, to give you time, uh, and then we're going to sing a song giving you time to maybe scribble whatever you like on that card. And then we'll start another song up and take up those cards along with our regular contribution. God, may God richly bless you with an enduring faith. May God bless you the desire to keep praying and never stop. Father, thank You for this morning, Lord. I want to praise You for Your Word. It's so powerful. Father, I, I just, it's, it's mind-boggling to see how prayer is connected to our faith, Lord, and how they both go hand in hand, Lord. It's almost like prayer is the oxygen of our faith that without it, it won't live. And Father, we just pray that we'll bring You into our everyday life and have conversations with You, Father, all week long, talking to You about everything and anything that's going on, any fear we have, anything that's discouraging us, any blessing we've received, any person, Father, that pops into our head, that we just pray and talk to You, Lord, and take that moment that will keep us refocused. They'll focus us back where we need to be where we need to be. Father, I want to pray for Sherry. You know, Jerry passed away Saturday, and Lord, um, the funeral's going to be this Thursday at two, and we're going to be having that visitation here on Wednesday night. Lord, I pray that those of us here who who know Sherry, Cherry, Lord, that know Sue, Cress, and Roger, and that know. Uh, Don and Daryl Herbst, Father, no Jasmine and Quint, Father, that, that will that will show up and love these people. They just need our love right now. They need to know you care. Um, I really like not just love Jerry. I liked him. Such a neat guy. And Father, it just um, it's a sad time for many of us here. I pray we pray for that family, Lord. We pray that you, you give them great comfort, Lord. Use us to supply some of that comfort. Help us think of ways we can express love to them, whether it be a card or for some food or a favor or just a look, a word, or a touch. Lord, let, let us be that kind of church right now in their lives. Oh, there's all kinds of people here sick, all kinds of people hurting, Lord. Open our eyes to see that and love them as well. We praise You, Father. 
We praise you for stories like this. They, they challenge us. Help us, Lord. We pray we won't fall into temptation to quit, to stop believing in you. We pray, Father, that when you come, when you show up, you will find us still trusting that whenever we see you, whether it's our own death or your coming, that you will know that we still trust you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.